I haven't actually done this on demand for like 10 weeks or something. I should be now streaming live impromptu at late. I'll get into why I'm late in just a moment. But uh, for anyone who is joining me, I guess it's a Saturday no matter where you are now. So for anyone who is joining me on your Saturday, thank you for being here. I've spent pretty much all my day playing with technology. So I've got a lot of stuff such as down here that I want to talk about. But I do want to start with sponsor. So very important to recognize the sponsor who is again this week, Veronis. And uh, as I've said many times, and they seem to be holding true to this, Veronis is my uh, most prevalent, most frequent, most often seen sponsor. So big thanks to Veronis. G'day, Neil. I can see you joining. Thank you for joining from Sydney, where it's definitely Saturday. Veronis for Salesforce. Protect Salesforce data from overexposure. It's not so good. And cyber threats. Try it for free. Uh, as I've said before, Veronis is a company I've spent a lot of time with in different parts of the world. And one of the things they do do exceptionally well is finding things that are exposed in places that they should not be. Uh, and of course, Salesforce is rather a popular platform these days. So thank you very much for Veronis for, uh, for sponsoring me and allowing me to sit here and talk about random technology today and all the cyber things. In fact, I do. I'm going to start with data breaches and things like this today because that does, uh, does, did consume rather a lot of my week. Now, I am late. We had a night away yesterday. We went away first thing yesterday morning. Long story for various reasons, some of which I won't go into, other of which is very simple and, and mechanical, literally mechanical. Uh, I wanted to get the, the AMG serviced. I am very unhappy with Mercedes and the Gold Coast. Uh, everyone seems to say they're just crap, <laughs> basically, in terms of service. G'day, Mercedes, if you're listening, which I'm sure they're not, but... And everyone said the one in Tuwung in Brisbane is exceptional, uh, which was true. They were exceptional. So I had originally planned to do various things in Brisbane, which one day I'm going to talk about. Holy shit, my stories lately. But <laughs> they, had, they had been pre-pwned and already done and out of the way. So be that as it may, we decided to have a bit of a day away and a night away, which we'd booked well in advance. Uh, so I went and got the car serviced and then had a day to kill uh, now, for those of you not from this part of the world, Neil knows where Brisbane is, but <laughs> for everyone else, Brisbane is about a one-hour drive that way, so it's not too far away. It's it's very, very close. So we went up, dropped the car off, and then had a day to kill. And we just kind of wandered around, did some shopping, and we're still trying to find various bits and pieces for the house. And there's a sort of an area of Brisbane that's got a lot of the furniture and everything, uh, and also has the Lamborghini shop. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to go to the Lamborghini shop. And I, I'm mentioning it here because I shared some photos. And uh, it, it was cool because we had time to kill. And then I walked in and I was like, ooh, they've got a Huracan STO. Now, if you're not a car person, it's like the lightweight race-centric version. They're all sold out in Australia. It was just for display purposes. Uh, and if you're a car person, it's like a super, super cool thing. Uh, and, and the lady running the shop was super nice. And she, she – I forget the way she phrased it, but she's like – it's been boring all day. She has time to kill. Can we hang around and look at cars? And I was like, okay, <laughs> that works okay. So I shared some photos of uh, of Charlotte and the STO. Uh, for the car people out there as well, they also had a Perfumante, uh, which I thought was very nice. Uh, the seats were just a nightmare though. 
they had a uh, they had an Aventador SVJ, which is apparently about two million dollars in Australia now because it's like the end of the V12 line. It was a convertible SVJ in like a, a metallic flecked purple. It was just like outrageously Lambo all the way, uh, and they had a black uh, two wheel drive Evo Huracan. So anyway, there's plenty of stuff to look at. And of course, some people say, "Are you buying?" A Lambo. <laughs> um, not at this point in time. I, for the for the longest time, ever since I was a kid, would go into car shops and look at things that were entirely infeasible back then, purely because of money. Uh, today, for various reasons, which is part of the other backstory of my life. But I have always gone in and looked at things that I have aspired to. Uh, including the cars that I drive today. And and that has always been something that's that's driven me and it's given me a lot of excitement and encouragement. And it's it's not like I, I have done all the things that I do work-wise in order to go and buy cars, but it is something which has always been an aspirational thing. Uh, yeah, some people like, I don't know, handbags or horses or stuff like that. I like cars. So anyway, uh, no, we are not buying another car at this point in time. Incidentally, any car at the moment is just a, a nightmare in terms of like lead times to buy uh, and then all sorts of supply problems in terms of actually fitting it with the things that you want. Uh, and it's just, it is just not a good time to be buying a vehicle at the moment. But always a good time to go and window shop for a vehicle. So that's what we're doing. We had a nice night away and uh, and got up this morning and I shared a, I actually tweeted a photo from one of my Ubiquiti cameras without knowing that I would get home and there'd be Ubiquiti stuff everywhere. And it was just the camera on the back and the sun had come out for the first time in a long time in Queensland because we've had so much rain and it just looked so perfect. And we're like, all right, that's it, going home. (laughs) So I left Brisbane straight away, came home. Now, let me talk about uh, data breaches and then I'll start talking about the ubiquity stuff. I loaded a lot of breaches uh, last week. I I had some people give me a bunch of stuff, which was easy to load and what I mean by that is as previously disclosed was in the news I didn't have to go through the absolute pain that is disclosure and I just sort of ripped through a bunch of it so what's news in data breach land now of course a lot of this is not new new but we had for example FanPass, 112,000 customer records breached in April now this is somewhere to buy uh, soccer tickets I know somebody called football Soccer, soccer, football. There's a lot of people that call different things football. Everyone knows what I mean if I say soccer. Soccer stuff. Uh, (laughs) Names, phone numbers, physical addresses, purchase histories, and salted password hashes. 67% of the email addresses were already in Have I Been Pwned. Only 112,000, not big in the scheme of things. Another one here, Roblox Cheats website, Sir Hurt. Now, if people had sent me Sir Hurt ages ago, like a year ago, because this was April last year. And it was just one of these ones where it, it wasn't particularly large. It's only 90,000 records. It wasn't easy to verify. I don't think I was entirely sure where they sat on the grayness of the spectrum when it's a cheats website. Now, since that time, uh, very frequently, or very re- recently, actually, I've loaded a bunch of cheats websites, things like the Aimware cheats website. And I have uh, also, by listening to Jack on Darknet Diaries and his episode about games and cheats and cheats for sale, I have formed more of a clearer opinion about how I feel about people selling cheats. And I've probably cared a little bit less about trying to get in touch with them and let them know they've been breached when obviously these ones must have known anyway. Uh, 
So, uh, g'day, Stephen. Good morning to you. Thank you for joining. So that was, uh, what was that? Sir Hurt, 39% already haven't been pwned. I felt that was low, particularly for a gaming site where you've got a demographic that's probably more likely to be signed up to have a been pwned than, uh, I'm trying to pick something I can give an example of without sounding offensive. But let's just say then a service where there are less tech-savvy people. So that was that one. There's more. Wendy's. Everyone knows who Wendy's are. This was actually Wendy's in the Philippines. And now, this one must have flown under my radar because I can never remember hearing about this. It was four years ago. A lot has happened since. Wendy's in the Philippines, 52,000 email addresses. Breach in 2018 data included names, email and IP addresses, physical addresses, phone numbers, job applications, MD5 password hashes. Good on you guys. 81% already in have been found. Quite a high number, I thought, for a... Uh, What's the right way to put this? If it was a service in the US, the UK, Australia, Western Europe, yes. But a Filipino service, I wonder where the 81% came from. Maybe they're all very sort of global data breach platform style stuff. You know, they're in like LinkedIn and Dropbox and stuff. Tend to see a lower percentage hit rate for services that are, for example, from Southeast Asia. Amart Furniture, getting back closer to home. Amart Furniture is a big service down here. Uh, a lot of people here know Amart. Had over 100,000 records free from an AWS account last week. So this one is actually quite new. That included email and physical addresses, names, phone numbers, and bcrypt password hashes. Good job. That's not a, a rhetorical thumbs up here. They're like, good job for bcrypting that. 68% of those already in have I been pwned. Now, this seemed to be just the warranties uh, and I got the impression it was just well that still works Sonos just said the sun has set and the garage door is still open yes I will be taking care of that I might furniture had over 100,000 records breached from you know I'll take care of that now why don't I just do this I can do this in real time close my garage door via my home assistant close there we go I can hear it and then the Sonos will tell me it closes just so I know it's closed. So Amart, pretty popular one there. Another one here. This is, again, one I think I must have missed. Um, Preen.me. Garage door just closed. What a life. <laughs> Preen.me. Now, this seemed to be an Israeli social media marketing company. 236,000 email addresses breached in 2020. Data also included email uh, names, rather, already had emails, emails, names, usernames, and links to social media profiles. 87% already in have a meme pwn. I have a bit of a feeling from looking at the data, and it wasn't clear from this risk-based security article, but I had a feeling from looking at the data that this might have been scraped from social media platforms. If it was, that would help explain the very high hit rate. So anyway, that's the, that's a, I don't know, let's call it half a dozen, <laughs> roughly half a dozen data breaches I loaded last week. Incidentally, long-term average, I tend to load one breach about once every four days, but clearly there are periods where I just have a combination of time, motivation, and supply. Uh, and there are other times where one or more of those factors uh, are not there. So it goes up and down. Something that came up that, 
I do now have my hands on, and I'm going to just read the, where's the story here? MGM Grand. Now, MGM Grand, as in the hotel slash casino chain, I saw, in fact, where I saw this from, I, I got the, the Risky Business Newsletter, one of the very few newsletters I actually sign up to and read. And I noticed they were talking about uh, a data breach of MGM Grand. They linked through to a VPN mentor story here. Now, the headline says, eight gigabytes plus database exposing millions of hotel guests dumped for free on Telegram. And I couldn't see it on the couple of Telegram channels I tend to watch for data breach stuff. So I, I asked if uh, some folks could DM me if they knew the links. A bunch of people did. I will do a public thank you in a moment. And I've pulled this data. And let me see. I just ran my ran my little regexy script just before and found almost 25 million unique email addresses, which is a substantial breach. Now, what is not clear to me, and if you know the answer, please let me know, but MGM, this is not their first rodeo. So if I go to have I been pwned, who's been pwned? And I go to MGM. So MGM in July 2019 discovered a data breach of one of their cloud services. The breach included 10.6 million guest records with 3.1 million unique email addresses stemming back to 2017. The exposed data included email and physical addresses, names, phone numbers, dates of birth, and was subsequently shared on a popular hacking forum possibly raid forum, which I can say now because it's dead and gone, in Feb 2020, where it was extensively distributed. Now, my question is, the 3 million email addresses there, are they a subset of the 25 million email addresses in this latest breach? And in case you're thinking, well, what you should do, Troy, is go and pull the data from the latest breach and compare it to the data from the old breach and see how they compare. That's a good idea. And this is exactly what I've done. And without actually reading out people's names, I've just sort of grabbed some random email addresses from the old one, which is smaller, searched for it in the new one. There are similarities and there are differences. So the similarities is the data. Like I'm looking at a record here. Uh, so I've got a, without obviously naming this person, there's a guy with an MSN address. They've got a phone number in there. They've got a physical address in Florida. Uh, they have what appears to be some form of a unique identifier. Now, the email address is obviously common because that's what I matched on. The physical address. It's a little bit different, isn't it? Uh -huh. So this has got the Florida address, the same postcode in the old one and the new one, but the old one has a street address, which the new one doesn't have. The phone number's the same. There's a date of birth in here. It's the same on both. The, the big obvious difference is that the one from several years ago is a pipe delimited file. The one that's in the news and on the Telegram channel today is JSON. So were they dumped from the same source and just formatted differently? Were they different sources? What, what I think is interesting here is that there are uh, what look to be uh, internal identifiers, if I was to take a guess. They're not sequential, though. They are integers. They look like internal identifiers. What if I go up to the start of the file? There's no headings on any of these columns. I've got them in the old file, not in the new file. So I'm not sure. And I guess where I'm going with this, and the reason it matters, is do I update 
the breach from 2019 and I just reload everything from this new one as long with everything in the old one, just to be sure. Or do I create a brand new breach? So I'm not sure about it. I will ask that publicly. I don't think I'm in a... I'd probably like to do it tomorrow. I've got time. It's a weekend. <laughs> as if I know the difference between the week and the weekend, unless the kids are here and they're at school. Uh, i got to figure out what to do with this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. All I know is there's a hell of a lot of people in there, and they do need to get notified. Henrik's here in the comments. Hi from Norway. Booked my travel recently to Norway. Going back to Norway at the end of the year. I'll talk more about that later. Might see you. Henrik, I might, uh, I'm going to try and do some public stuff there. That is one of the, in fact, I'm definitely doing some public stuff. That's one of the reasons I'm going back. Is there a high degree of leaks with patterns of weakness? Uh, for example, MD5 indicating that companies that don't care get pwned more often. Not that I can identify. Um, I'm thinking through it. Because I guess the problem is... Like, it, it, it'd be it'd be interesting if someone could put this on a graph. You could do this because you could just go to the API. Go to the API, the public one with no author or anything, pull down all the breaches, past 600 breaches this week too, actually. That was a big uh, a big one. What are we at today? Uh, 603 breaches now. Round numbers are always a big thing for some weird human psychology reason. Uh, it would be interesting to pull all the breaches. The... The, the password storage mechanism, plain text, MD5, bcrypt, whatever, is not metadata per se, but I usually put it in the description. Be interested to see if it exists there. Now, the only thing is that a breach, let's say from a decade ago, it, it still wasn't cool to have MD5. It really still wasn't cool to even have SHA-1 a decade ago. I wrote a blog post, I think in 2012, about how weak even salted SHA-1 is. Uh, I knew that then. Everyone else knew that. Well, a lot of people knew that then. So still wasn't good, but I guess it was more acceptable than what it is now. So you'd have to sort of look at it and go, it's almost like how acceptable was it over time and is there a greater prevalence of password storage using weak hashing algorithms uh, than what there is using strong... I know I know what your question is. It would just be interesting to figure out how to quantify it. You've got the data to do it. It's there in the API. Stephen, got any plans to visit the UK in the future? It's wet, it's cold, the beer's warm. <laughs> um, no, not at this time. Uh, I will be doing, in fact, I've got, I figured out today, I've got more than two months of travel coming up for the rest of the year, which is quite extensive. But a lot of it's in Australia, Scandinavia, and Southeast Asia. Uh, and that's all I'm going to share on that at the moment. As we get closer, I'll share more of it, but nothing on the UK for yet. I guess to be very objective, there's got to be a reason. So there's got to be a reason to go. And, and in the past, I did a lot of travel to the UK because I was doing conference talks and workshops and things like that. And to be honest, a, a combination of all sorts of personal reasons as well as just feeling like I was getting burned out from doing it. And then the pandemic meant I didn't do that for a very long time. And now that we're sort of, I don't want to say completely on the other side of that, but we're getting more options with travel, I just don't. I know I just said I'm going to go away for two months, but a lot of it's leisure. I just don't want to be traveling that much, doing conference talks in far-flung parts of the world. It's very hard work. A lot of it is now online. It's so much better in so many ways for, for me and my sanity, for jet lag, uh, for the environment. Um, 
even for even commercially, uh, another story altogether. But there's all sorts of reasons why it just makes a lot more sense for me to sit here, pull the microphone out, look at the camera, do the talk. There, of course, will be exceptions. I am speaking at NDC in Melbourne next month, Sydney later on in the year. Uh, I mentioned when I'm in Norway, I'm going to be doing some things. I'm going to be doing some things in other parts of the world as well, but they're going to be much more exceptional than what they were in the past. Stephen says, yeah, everyone asked me why any Aussie lives in the UK, very wet and cold. It's a little bit of a, like a rite of passage. I spent a year living in the UK when I was, when I was young. <laughs> um, but people tend to go there. And look, some people do stay for the long term. A lot of people sort of go, the UK is good because it's close to Europe. And I always used to laugh at that because I was like, so it's, it's good because it's easy to get out of there. <laughs> like, I know what you mean. But anyway, a lot of people go there and they're there for a year and then they've done their... They're right of passage, if you like, and they leave. Fritz says, good morning. Good morning, the rest of the world. Good morning, Fritz. Let me move on, because I uh, I do have a clock ticking. I do have other, other social things I need to do today. <laughs> Let me pull out this big sucker. And if, if you're listening to this rather than watching it, I've picked up a box which literally does take some exertion to lift. I wonder how heavy this thing is. It's actually a good question. This is a Ubiquiti G4 PTZ. Uh, I'm going to look up how heavy that is. G4 PTZ. I'm going to search for like weight. Uh, 6.8 kilo. There you go. That, that is substantial for a camera. Let, uh, let's pop it open. Have a look at what's in here. I did share some uh, an entire tweet thread of this before. So if you want to look at the... The photos, you can do that, but it's kind of cool doing it on video because this thing is massive. Ubiquity had said for quite some time they were going to send one of these and then they've had stock problems. And in fact, the, the most prominent piece of feedback I've had from the very long tweet thread today about doing Ubiquity stuff is the number of people saying these things are awesome, not just the camera, but some of the other things I'm going to talk about as well, but it's impossible to get stock. And every time I looked online, because I wanted to find a reference or a link, so much of the stuff was out of stock. Ubiquity sent me this stuff for free. I have disclosed that in the tweets uh, after I spent thousands of dollars with them buying my home network stuff and then deciding I really, really liked it and wrote a big blog post, which apparently was very good for them. They have been kind. Uh, I've written before about how I choose what to endorse and how I do it. Uh, and that was one of the examples. So I'm very happy to use Ubiquity stuff because I've been very happy to spend my money on it. The mount for this thing, this is the mount. Like it's got a bit, this has got to get bolted onto a wall somewhere. Better get it the right way around actually. <laughs> which, which way does it go? Not sure. I am going to get this professionally installed because this is going to take some, uh, some heavy duty work and some sealing and some cabling. But it will mount on this. There is a cover for the top. If you have a look underneath, there's even like support cables uh yeah like safety cables just so if it falls off it's still you know you click the little carabiner and the and the, the wire under it that's a very large mount and it's all like proper metal stuff too there's very very little plastic in this whole thing uh now the camera <laughs> the camera actually comes in a bag this this feels like a human... Oh, I imagine this is what a human head would feel like if you had it in a bag. <laughs> Don't know how we just got there. Just the way I picked it up. But this thing is freaking huge. And it's got a lot of Darth Vader vibes going on, if I'm honest. Now, 
I'll get this out of the head bag. Well, I'm not entirely sure why it needs a bag. Anyway, look at that. Look at this thing. That looks insane. Now, of course, it'll actually be upside down because it has to hang under the mount. So it'll be like that. And it can pan and it can also tilt. So you can see that it won't move it much because it's got a little support in there. The only connector it has is an Ethernet jack. So this will run PoE. It needs PoE++. I forget how many watts that's meant to provide. You can see here's the little hook for the little support cable with the carabiner. Uh, this whole head unit, this is actually plastic, this surrounds, but this thing is really heavy. So all of the brackets and everything in there are metal. This little, probably little rain shield here is, uh, is plastic, but this is a chunky, chunky unit, I think is the only fair way to put it. 20 uh, 22 times optical zoom, which is rather impressive on a home security camera. Um, it ties into the whole Unify ecosystem. So once I actually get this whole thing set up, I'm going to have to get my Sparky background. Once I get it all set up, it'll sit in there along with the other 4K cameras. This, of course, is a 4K camera. Other 4K cameras and uh, the doorbell, which I'll talk about in a moment, and all the rest of it, and it will constantly record. And I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to use it, <laughs> if I'm honest. Obviously, I'm going to mount on the front of the house. I don't know, like... It's got pan and tilt, so I just leave it pointed in the same direction per normal. And then if like dodgy looking people come past, then I just pan it and tilt it at them. Which also, if they're looking at it, will be really obvious because the thing's so freaking massive. So I'm, uh, I'm kind of curious as to exactly how I'll be using this. But it is beautifully made. <laughs> beautifully made. I found the spot. I want to mount it. And I sort of... Had a chat to Charlotte about it and like, hey, um, you know this nicely freshly painted white walls. What if we put this really big black security camera thing on it? And I thought that there might be some negotiating to do. But she was like, no, yeah, sounds cool. <laughs> so so that's gonna be easy. Easy, easy, easy. She is wonderful. And she looked great in that Lambo too, by the way. Uh, now, close that sucker back up. So that's the P PZT, PTZ, PTZ. Uh, that will be a work in progress because I will have to get the spark out. A uh, couple of comments here. Stephen says, any new home assistant bits and pieces? Only what I've tied in with the doorbell. I'll come back to that in a moment. Someone says here, what does that included mount look like on a 6.8 kilogram security camera? What does that included mount look like? Uh, I did hold that up a little bit earlier. It's big. Stephen says, that's big. <laughs> it's a big mount. Adam's asking, does the PTZ track people automatically or only if you manually move it around yourself? Very good question, and I've been wondering that myself because how cool would it be if people are walking past and it's just like, I'm going to hate mail about privacy now. Um, I'll come back to that. <laughs> it would be cool if it does that. I, I don't think it does, at least not yet, but... When you think about the smart detections Ubiquiti's got, like it can tell person from car and it literally puts a little box and move. It should be able to do it, right? Like it's got, it's obviously got the hardware to pan and tilt and it's got the software to recognize people. Why can't I just follow? But then what if you've got two people coming opposite directions? I don't know. I will find out and I'll let you know. The privacy side of things. Someone, um, 
someone messaged me a while ago. I can't remember if it was an email or DM. And they were very unhappy that I had security cameras. They're like, do you know it's illegal to record people without their, I don't know, acknowledgement or something like that? Because these constantly record. All the ones I've got already, like 24-7, constantly record. I've got one month's worth of storage on the RAID array disks, totaling 12 terabyte of redundant storage. So they're constantly recording. Um, I don't know the exact answer to that. What I do know is it is normal common practice for people here to have security cameras. They don't look as cool as this one, but it is normal common practice. There, There is, uh, I would argue, a view that on your property in your space you are able to do these things. Uh, now, someone will argue that there'll be something in there that says you're not allowed to do that, but that is the normal thing here. Adam says, only illegal if they have a reasonable expectation of privacy. And Oz, if I remember correctly, that sounds like a reasonable explanation. <laughs> Brendan says, ooh, gross. Friday. Never mind. It's, uh, okay, yes. Catch up, Brendan. <laughs> Stephen, was the person that was unhappy a burglar? I don't know, man. Might have been. Might have been. Uh, Adam says, you know, for example, through someone's window in the house. Um, I'll tell you what, certainly... Uh, my neighbours here would be very happy if ever these cameras were to catch a burglar here because they'd get really, really good high-def view of it and we'd be able to scroll back and see them. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Uh, Fritz says, very big no-no in Germany. Even dash cams are frowned upon. It's, it's, I mean, Germany is a really interesting one. Obviously, Europe is very privacy-centric in general. Germany, more so than I think anywhere else in the world, Fritz, you'd probably agree with me, is very, very privacy-conscious. Uh, um We've got someone here, Netboot, Netboot Disk says, public view equals fair game. There's no exception. Um, th- th- that That is the general practice here. Uh, look, the, the video cameras, <laughs> thinking all the ways have been really useful for me. They've been really useful for everything from, I shared an example before of when I had an Uber Eats person at the height of COVID just handling food with their hands, uh, and I, I blasted them publicly. I don't give a shit that they were maybe upset about that. So that was just such an irresponsible thing to do. I have used it to resolve arguments between the kids where they've had a fight. And to be clear, all of my cameras point to public places, places that you can walk down the street and see, come down the canal and see. Uh, Nothing points inside the house. Closest to that would be in the garage. Um... Nothing points anywhere that that would be a private space uh, where we would not want ourselves recorded, for example. So they'll be pointing out to like the canal and then the kids will have a fight and they'll come in and this one will say you did this and the other one will say you did that. And it's like, right, we're going to pull the footage because <laughs> it's constantly recording. And I've had multiple occasions where I've gone back and it's like, okay, mate, like right here, this is where you start to escalate. And you could have stopped and walked away. Uh, and Al, right here, this is where you hit him over the head with the oar. So, yeah, no, no, that's, uh, I can see what's going on there. So that's, um, that's been enormously useful for resolving things like that. Uh, now, I just put some beer in the freezer. Please take the beer out of the freezer. Thank you, Charlotte. <laughs> I haven't automated that yet. Other comments here. What surfaces can you mount that on? Uh, strong ones, because it's heavy. So we want that. Adam says, what about if your camera looks into your neighbor's backyard? Uh, Some of my cameras do. I tweeted a photo this morning. It it is the same thing that you can see if you go down the canal yourself. 
That is my take the beer out of the freezer timer. I got some really nice beer last night. So I'm looking forward to enjoying that, which is why I'm drinking water at the moment. Um, Netboot disc, there's no expectation of privacy in public, which is the general practice. Crooked, that's going to be interesting. Crooked says two people walking in different directions and don't know which one to track. Easy. Just use machine learning to decide which one to track based on appearance. Surely no ethical problems. Oh, my God. Imagine the problems that that creates. Adam says, Section 227 of the Queensland Criminal Code makes it an offence to video record people without their consent in places where they would expect to be private, such as a bedroom, bathroom, or change room. And that seems very reasonable, doesn't it? Per says, in Sweden, it, it is okay if you only record your own yard and if you have a home alarm, it's okay. But there is a rule that if you accidentally record others and it can't identify their faces, but it is a law in progress. Uh, Fritz says, a bit over the top in my view. This is German Fritz. Oh, here, no, I'm not German. I only live there. Always cracks me up. So many Germans happily go to the Netherlands, which is filled to the brim with cameras. Uh, of course, we're just talking about London, which I believe is the most security camera place in the world as well. Look, all that aside, and to move on to another topic, I feel personally, not a lawyer, but in all of these matters, I think a lot of it does come down to the intent and how the technology is used. Now, in our case here, it there are occasional break-ins. It has happened in this house before many years ago. It is something I'm conscious of. Um, I also use these cameras for uh, motion sensors. So because they all tie into an integration home assistant, every one of those cameras is a, is a binary sensor. It is a motion sensor. So I also use that so that when people walk up to the house and it's dark, the lights come on if they're not on already. If they were to come up the back via the canal, which is where someone's broken in before, uh, the lights will come on. A lot of lights come on because it's basically just like, if there is motion, just light up everything. So let's keep talking cameras. Uh, doorbell. I have enjoyed having the G4 doorbell. Ties in a whole same unified protector ecosystem. I've had that there since I think late 2020. Uh, it has been great for multiple reasons. So it's great because it's a really good vantage point to constantly record if something needs to be recorded, such as excuse me, such as the uh, dodgy Uber Eats driver. So that's been handy. Uh, it's also great because it has Home Assistant integration, ringing the doorbell raises an event. So what I've been able to do is like decouple the concept of a doorbell with a button and a, and a ringer, uh, sometimes called a chime box. So the old doorbell was basically all just hardwired. You press the button, that would ring a buzzer somewhere or other. And I ripped out a bunch of stuff that was just all of that stuff ages so badly. And it was all 15 years old. And now it's just a doorbell, which takes, I think it's 12 volt power, something like that. Not the full 240 volt that we get here. And that then integrates into Home Assistant and it can raise an event. Now, when it raises that event, I just play an MP3 file and it's just a, a ding dong doorbell and I play it through the Sonos. So I can be sitting up here and the Sonos on my shelf, just behind me there, just in front of the Lamborghini Cyan, which now graces my shelf, <laughs> that rings. And because we've got Sonos all through the house, it's like it rings in the bedroom and everywhere else. And it's like everything just rings. And then it rings on the Ubiquity app. So no matter where we are in the world, we can just see who's at the door at the time. And what else to do? It takes a snapshot. The Home Assistant automation takes a snapshot, saves a snapshot of that photo 
into the file system where I can then go back to the media browser and see everyone who has pressed the doorbell. Now, they recently came out with a G4 doorbell pro, which is really cool because it's black. <laughs> so there's a theme here between this PTZ camera and the doorbell. Looks pretty slick. Has two cameras. It has one which is a parcel camera, points down. It also has a light which can illuminate. It's got an IR sensor so I can see how much light is in there. It will then go through and illuminate the, the light, which I'm yet to see because I only just installed it. And it's probably not dark yet. I don't know. I closed my curtains. So that's really cool. It's got a fingerprint reader. Not entirely sure what I can do with that yet. I think it ties into a bunch of the other Unify Access things. Uh... And it also seems to just be a much, much better camera. So there's a whole tweet thread of me setting this up today. And I shared some comparisons of stills from the camera, the old one, the, just the G4 before I took it off, and now the G4 Pro. And it looks so much better. And then someone was like, oh, yes, but they're different times of day and different light. So, well, because I constantly record, I can, and I've not removed the old camera from Unify yet, I'll just go back to yesterday at the same time and pull video of each. Now, I don't know if there were contrast settings or brightness settings or something that was changed as well, but the new one looks super, super sharp. I'm going to bring it up and look at it now. How does it look as it starts to get dark? Ooh, it's looking pretty good. Looking pretty good. What's actually cool about it is you see two, you see like picture in picture. So the main picture is what you would expect, like the doorbell facing forward. Uh, and the secondary one is the parcel camera facing down, so that if someone leaves a parcel on your doorstep and then someone else comes and steals it or something, you get that. Now, mind you, you'd get that from the main camera. I think the one facing down is more to see if there is a parcel sitting there, which you can't necessarily see with the main camera. Anyway, we'll see what this looks like. Uh, I'll wait till tomorrow, and then I'll just scroll back, and I'll get like middle-of-the-night kind of pitch black but uh, it'll be interesting to see what the IR is like as well. Certainly it looks very good. I tied it back in the Home Assistant, updated my automation a little bit so that it snaps not just the front-facing camera but the downward parcel-facing camera as well. So now it snaps two, uh, two photos, which is pretty cool. Uh, and, yeah, it looks really, really neat. The biggest problem I had was the mounting points are different. So the little uh, panel that my Sparky had fabricated had to get uh, removed and redrilled and... Anyway, that's all done. That was a, a do-it-myself one, which was good. And then the last one I'll talk about, which is in that tweet thread today as well, is the in-wall Wi-Fi 6 unit. So Wi-Fi 6 is starting to become a big thing. Uh, you get fantastic speeds through Wi-Fi 6, which is really great for connecting to my 40 megabit internet connection. But I think uh, I think density of devices was another big, big pro of, of Wi-Fi 6 as well. But certainly at some point in time, the speed will be cool. So I had a bunch of in-wall units. So the in-wall units, um, pretty much the size of this PoE adapter I'm holding here in my hand, sit on the wall, four jacks on them, so you can wire into those if you've got wired things that you need to plug in. And then they have a, an access point in it, which is sufficiently powered to cover the room and not much else. It's meant to cover that room. And the value proposition there is that you can have effectively one AP per room and you get great coverage in that room, and you've still got jacks you can plug into. So they sent me one of those in the care package this morning. I've gone through and fitted that. Looks the same, actually fundamentally different. So I end up putting a little video on that tweet thread. 
uh, everything from the fact it's now got a metal uh, a metal case it mounts to, through to the fact that the entire construction is different. There's it, it's much less flimsy, and the the cover which popped off the old one in a kind of flaky way before doesn't do that anymore. Physically, a little bit larger as well. Uh, you don't really realise how much unless you line them up together. So that's now in there. That's uh, that ended up going into into Ari's room because it needed to go somewhere where I didn't need a cover on it because I've got these covers that go on to um, go on to any of the ones I've got on a dark wall. So they're like dark covers, but of course different physical size now. I can't put the covers on. I was just wondering the one I had in Ari's room had I don't know how many devices it was. A lot of devices on it. How many is it picked up now? Nine. Nine devices. Anyway, all that was pretty straightforward, adopting that. Uh, I've now got 187 clients on my network, which is brave IoT world. All right, let me see other comments here. Uh, now, Adam says, wondered how you sourced the G4 Pro doorbell. It was given to me. Like, that's, that's the unapologetic, easy answer. Uh, so... It's, it was a bit sucky reading everyone's comments going, they can't source these from anywhere. How the hell did you get it? Obviously, Ubiquity has stock, limited stock, uh, so they sent it over. So that was that was easy for me. What else is in here? Uh, yeah, Brendan's clarified that. Adam says, on the camera as motion, I'm a really big fan of Frigate for object detection. Limits the number of false positives uh, when turning on lights for motion that just happen to be a car or a bug. So one of the things that I've always end up tuning with these cameras, and I will now have to do again with the new one that's just gone in, is first of all, setting motion zones. So there are only parts of the picture that I want to detect motion in and trigger a motion event. So, for example, I don't really want to trigger motion when a car drives past. That's not something that I need to see on my timeline in terms of noteworthy events. Cars drive past all the time. And then you can also set the sensitivity. So with the old doorbell, it did take a bit of mucking around to, first of all, just select the area around the door. And then second of all, dial down the sensitivity such that when a car drives past and the headlights flash across the door that doesn't trigger a motion event. So I'm going to have to do the same thing here. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, Adam says, Frigate has really tight integration with Home Assistant too. One of my favorite integrations, Android TV notifications that pop up an image on the screen when someone is at the door. Could be an nice alternative for those who prefer classic intercoms. Uh, yeah, look, I think that's a really good point. I, I like the idea of, it, it's almost like the decoupling of the things. Because before I had the intercom on the door and then there's a, a button to release the door, which never sort of really worked unless you're at the door. Not sure why. And then some really old, crusty, looks like they would have been put in here when I was a kid <laughs> kind of thing, uh, intercoms at several levels throughout the house. But it was obviously all part of the one ecosystem and it was all tied together. So I really like the fact now that there is a doorbell. It is just a doorbell. It, well, it's, it's not. It wouldn't have even been a bell. Like it is just the unit on the wall, and that connects to Wi-Fi, and that can then raise events in Home Assistant. Then Home Assistant can do other things, save snapshots to the file system, uh, ring the bell on the Sonos. I've one of the things I have been meaning to do. It's on my to-do list somewhere. 
apparently you can use HTML5 notifications within Home Assistant such that when someone rings the bell, that if you've got a browser window open, it will immediately pop that up on a browser window and you will see the person. But then again, my phone's always right here and it pops up immediately on my phone too, so maybe overkill. It's a little bit like the idea of I like that I have uh, Apple CarPlay on my phone, which I rotate pretty regularly. And then that is the software that drives the display on the screen in the car, which I rotate much less regularly. I like having an Apple TV, which is a few hundred bucks, and you can rotate those every time a new one comes out that's sufficiently cooler. But I can display that on the great big TV, which I really don't want to change too frequently because they're bloody expensive. So this decoupling, I think, is a, is a really, really cool way of doing it. Steven says, HTML, HTML5 notifications are great when you're working to avoid picking up the phone. Yeah, it is kind of another distraction as well, though, isn't it? So anyway, so that's what I've been up to. The only other thing that I've been doing, and I haven't finished the thread yet, was using this PoE adapter to give more power to the USW Flex so that the Flex could drive two cameras and two access points. The reason I haven't finished that thread is that it is not behaving as expected. And I don't know if it's, well, this is the second one, I've got two of them. If it's the one down there or the way I've wired it or something that I've misunderstood. But when I plug that in, I cannot get the other devices actually powering up. It doesn't seem to be providing enough power to the USW Flex. I think that's the problem. I shall ask my friends at Ubiquity. I might even just tweet it and ask the masses as well. Okay, folks, so I do have a thing to go to, and that beer is now cold enough as well. So thanks for watching this. I know it was a funny time to do it. I'll get back to normal on the Friday coming before I go away shortly after that and then screw it up for weeks to come. Thanks very much for watching. Enjoy your weekends. See you later, folks.